Headliner Radio, the creative voice. Hello and welcome to Headliner Radio, where we're delighted to be joined by Maria Mitre Kepler and Matthew Zeltzer of the band Mitre, whose second album, I Just Want to Be Wild for You, was released earlier this year. Uh, Maria and Matthew, thanks so much for joining us today. How are you both and whereabouts in the world are you joining us from? Thanks for having us. We are in Portland, Oregon. Great. Well, thank you so much uh, for coming onto the show. It's uh, it's great to chat with you. Um, there is uh, there's a lot for us to talk about. Uh, so you've recently had a record out. You've been able to finally get out and play some shows. Um, but if we could start at the beginning, it would be great if you could both just tell us a little bit about how Mitre came to be and how you how you both met and uh, how the band yeah how the band came to life. Yeah. Um, we, we met a while ago and didn't start playing music together for a little bit, actually. Like we would play music together kind of casually. And then we were both songwriters. So we did a lot of touring together kind of as independent songwriters who would back each other up a little bit. Um, and then in the last, I guess, five, five or six years. Yeah. Five or six years. Um, Oh, this thing is falling next to us slowly. That's okay. In the next, <laughs> I have a, this little studio setup that we're in, and I um, use a packing blanket as sort of a vocal booth, and it's on a fifty-year-old Atlas stand, and the Atlas stand is slowly sinking and making a squeaking sound. So that's what <laughs> oh, you're I hearing see. right now, just little, out of frame. A little preview <laughs> yeah. into our creative process. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, about like uh, a few years ago, we decided to really put our energy into working on a band for Maita and um, we've always worked on the records together and um, co-produced those Matthews engineered um, the bulk of, of them. So um, yeah. Oh, cool. I mean, your first album best wishes came out uh, just after the pandemic struck. Um, and, you know, if the music industry wasn't a tough enough place for artists at the moment, that was probably a, an extra hurdle that you weren't anticipating having to uh to, to navigate um i was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what that process was like when you were kind of gearing up to release your debut record and then that happens how you then go about promoting working that record trying to introduce it to an audience and then how how that may have you know influenced the way that you approached the next record if that gave you some extra time to start working on album number two what was the what was the process when uh when you were gearing up to release that record and then the events that transpired afterwards well um the, the album was best wishes was actually supposed to come out i think march 15th and we were supposed to fly to europe about a week later and then the travel ban happened and once the we knew that the pandemic was really going to be a thing um our team kind of got together and they were like, Hey uh, guys, we should not release your album right now. And I didn't really want to do that. And we, we, cause we'd been gearing up to release the record for so long and, but it was the right idea. And we, we moved it two months and there's that initial period where everyone was just sort of panicked and buying too much toilet paper. And there was no time to listen to music because you had to get more toilet paper. And, um, I think moving it to May ended up being a good idea. And like we did a, this, we went to uh, the studio where we recorded uh, Bocce in, in Vancouver and recorded a live stream uh, for our album release show. And it felt really good to get together. Um, and we had our, 
one of our favorite radio DJs, John B. Jones, JBJ from X-Ray Come. And so it felt really fun to do that. Um, Yeah. And then, you know, that the release itself, we found ways to make it special in that way. And then after that, it was a bit of a challenge just to try to keep things moving and keep the momentum going. And, um, you know, I, since you can't tour, it's hard to continue to prolong the life of a record. That is a huge challenge for artists. Um, I ended up doing an illustrated album uh, towards the end of that year, just where I basically thought I wanted to give the songs a bit more life. And um, I ended up making a piece of art for every song and releasing those one by one throughout the year, um, which ended up being a really cool project for me because I, I was able to kind of show this like more whimsical side of the record to people and allow people to interact with the songs in a different way and also tap into a little bit of my art background, which was very fulfilling for me. Well, I mean, that's, that's really interesting. And I, I guess there are, there, there, there are probably uh, many examples out there of artists that have been kind of forced to think differently about their work and, and how to, to approach it from different angles. And that sounds like a really interesting idea that I guess most likely wouldn't have happened if, uh, if, if not for the, the circumstances at the time. So it's, you know, if there are any positives to be drawn out of what happened there, you know, loosely use the word positives, uh, it's quite interesting to see the ways that people got creative and, and went about creating art during that time. I mean, you, you know, you've since released your second record, um, which came out earlier this year and that one you have been able to, you know, get out and promote, uh, you know, more intensely than you would have been able to with best wishes. How, how has that been? How has it felt to, to get out and actually play some shows? I know you recently did, uh, South by Southwest. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how that's been and how, how exciting it's been to get out and introduce these songs in a live uh, format to, to audiences? Yeah, it's been great. I mean, I think when the pandemic hit, um, at that point, Maria and I had been touring for about four years straight. Um, and like, whether we liked the circumstances or not, it was, um, probably good for us to take a little break from the road. And I think a lot of touring musicians have sort of felt the same and sort of reassessed their relationship with touring. Um, and, uh, I think for us, there's like a huge, uh, we really enjoy playing shows and we love being on the road. And so it was hard to have that taken away from us. And, um, but there's things about touring that are unhealthy, you know, and, and I think having a good chance to step away from it and then come back to it, it's like, we're able to reassess what our priorities are, whether it's like trying to be better about hanging out with family when we're home or like, how do we spend our off days on the road or like what, are, what's the kind of food we're eating? But overall, like just getting to go back to some of these places we visited before and go to new places. Um, Maria and I had never been to Austin, much less South by Southwest. And that was an incredible experience. Um, so yeah, we're, we're just glad that we can actually get out there and get off the couch. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it must be fantastic to uh, to be able to get out there and do some shows again after that, you know, quite lengthy spell off off the road. Um, I was hoping to to have a, a little bit of a chat as well about the the kind of the the recording and the production process of each of the two records and and any differences that may exist between the two. Uh, you know, you said you'd kind of uh, been working on 
the first album for quite some time uh, before it was actually released. And then, you know, this, the second record followed relatively quickly afterwards, I guess. What, what can you tell us about how you, how you approached each of these records and if they kind of fed into each other in any way, if there were songs that were perhaps, uh, you know, written or uh, created around the time the first album came out that made their way onto the second record, you know, how did you, uh, how did you go about creating these two records? And uh, yeah, if, if you could kind of talk us through the process for each one, that would be, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, well, the first record, they, they were recorded pretty differently between the two of them. Um, and there was one song we joke, there's always one song that ends up getting kicked off the record and then put on the next one. And we just re-record it because we just didn't capture something right about it um, the first time around. But uh, Best Wishes um, was recorded. The basics, the drums and the bass were tracked out uh, in Enterprise, Oregon, Eastern Oregon, very, very small town in a hundred-year-old theater that is not very old by your standards, but um, that it's ancient for Western <laughs> in, United States in, in a small <laughs> Eastern Oregon town. It means a lot. Um, but uh, our friend Bart Budwig is an engineer and a musician and he works out there and he tracked the basics for us on, on stage all together in one room. Um, and then we took the overdubs um, to Portland where Matthew Zelter ended up tracking those in a studio that he helped build. And you want to talk about the challenges? Sure. Yeah. So um, yeah. So the, the way the record was done is Bart really likes to work in kind of an old school way where all the musicians are in the same room. So uh, he's got a bass amp on stage, which almost never happens in recording, usually you DI the bass, so the sound of the bass doesn't bleed into the drum mics. Um, so what that ended up doing is it kind of like really gelled the rhythm section. So there's really no picking and choosing. Like you can't really fix a bass flub um, or a drum hit. It's all there. And luckily our rhythm section, uh, Nevada Soul and Cooper Trail, are really great session musicians. And that's how we started working with them was through the best wishes sessions. Um, and then um, they became our touring band and uh, did the next record with us. But the the other challenge is that um, because the vocals are in the same room as the drums, the uh, drums bleed into the vocal mic and the acoustic guitar mic. So, um, and my, my electric guitar was in a different room. Um, so Japanese waitress um, had no overdubs. That's just the live take. Um, and some of the other songs we would keep, uh, my guitar, um, we mostly pulled all of Maria's stuff and re-recorded that and then added layers to everything we have. So a lot of times the songs are as they were live, but we will just add like keys or, um, an extra guitar or redo Maria's vocals and add harmonies. So it's more like building upon the basics rather than taking things away, um, one of the challenges that we had was because sometimes the vocals would even bleed into the drum mics. So we would have this like distant vocal. So when you re-recorded the vocal, you could still hear a little bit of the old one. So to fix that, um, I had Maria double her vocals on a lot of songs. So I think, um, did we do that on Broken Down Boys? I think. I don't know. I mean, Sometimes it was, we were just like, whatever, it's just going to be slightly imperfect. Yeah. I think that that was like something that we had to learn throughout the process of this particular record, which is that 
the vibe was there and the feeling was there. We just had to make peace with the fact that it wasn't going to be a perfect record. There were going to be things about it that were not completely polished. And I think we ended up kind of falling in love with that part, that aspect of the record. It felt very alive to us. Um, and I think it, it, it ended up turning out in a fairly unique way. Yeah. Um, but going into the second record, we definitely decided that we wanted to have a little bit more control over the the recording the process product. and the yeah. finished process. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so for the second record, uh, so we did all the overdubs at Room 13 uh, in Portland, which is in the basement of a church. Um, it's not religiously affiliated. It's just a studio in the basement of a church. Um, but what was great about that studio is that we wired up a, a snake into the sanctuary that had a beautiful grand piano. And so um, we could record piano in this big, beautiful room with tall vaulted wood ceilings. And you can, you know, hear the sound of the rain, which I think every Portland record should have the sound of the rain in it. Um, it's, it's necessary. Um even if you record in the summer, it should rain during your recording process. <laughs> um, but so for the second record, we had a lot more isolation. Um, the amps were in different rooms. So we were all hanging out in the live room at the studio and the drums would be there. Um, we recorded it to a click. Um, and I think also with the first album, it was our first time working with um, Nevada and Cooper and we were sort of like getting to know each other. And um, by the second one, we toured a bunch of dates. We were fresh off tour. And um, so we rehearsed in Enterprise for it and then came to Portland and recorded. And um, I think we just sort of knew who we were as a band more. So it feels like more of a band record, whereas Best Wishes is like, feels like a singer songwriter uh, exploring with a band. Um, I don't know yeah i don't i feel like we pulled it off i know the it, first it, time around just you know it i think even the first time around we were like oh okay this is what, this we, is are. what we are yeah and it was very fast mm. but um but yeah definitely a little bit more crystallization on the second one yeah um I mean, as far as songs um i guess someone's lost their dot 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 wallet was originally going to be on the water bear ep mm-hmm. and we recorded it and just couldn't get it right and then we did it for best wishes and it made it on that record. And then wild for you um, was supposed to be on best wishes and couldn't we right. couldn't get it how we wanted. So we re-recorded that and um, it ended up being the title track. Yeah. I mean, I found, you know, when listening to the, to the, to the latest record, there's a real, there's a real kind of ebb and flow between the kind of quieter moments and the louder moments. It feels like you kind of, explored those extremities of, of the band sound a little bit further perhaps with this album was that something that you deliberately set out to do to kind of make the quieter moments quieter and the bigger moments bigger or is this something that just kind of happens organically when you're when you're working and, and writing in the studio i think it's a little of both we i really the thing that i i talk about and love the most about the band is that we really do try to serve the song over having to serve a kind of sound um it's I I would like every song to feel like its own entity that kind of 
where the the music and the sonic qualities really serve the mood. So we're not trying to make every song sound exactly the same. We want each song to to honor itself. Um, at the same time, I do like one of my favorite things about music from as early as when I first started listening to it is the ability uh, to take the listener on a song, on a journey, an emotional journey. And I, I just love high highs and low lows. I think that um, having the band being able to do that together, it was just kind of this light bulb moment of like, wow, our, our louds can be even louder. Our quiet moments can be even more um, jarring and even more, stark compared and i just think that that's an amazing tool at your disposal to be able to to take listeners on that kind of a journey yeah absolutely i mean are there any particular records or examples you have of of uh, of albums or artists that, that have perhaps inspired you or or even if they've not necessarily inspired your your music directly that you really appreciate that have a a knack and an ability to to do that within their records i I mean, I used to listen to, like, I grew up listening to a lot of Bright Eyes when I was a kid. And I I loved that you could listen to one record and the genres of the songs, the tone of the songs, like they really do jump around so much. And it, somehow they all ended up feeling cohesive and, um, and emotional and just alive. And I think that that was a really big inspiration and a little bit of a security blanket for us when we started writing, like producing these songs and we we're like, Oh, these are all very different. Like, is this okay? And then I would just go back and listen to what I was and be like, I think it's okay. Like people yeah. liked it in the past. Like this is what feels right. So we're just going to do that, you know? Yeah. Fantastic. And, and how about you, Matthew? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I guess like I, I grew up listening to the Beatles as a little kid and like, we just watched the, um, the let it be documentary and i love how every song is so different on every beatles album especially like the later ones mm-hmm. like you get to like the white album and it's just like some stuff is like really heavy and dark and then some stuff is super whimsical and um and mastered really quite like some certain songs are like mastered so quietly yeah. too yeah um I know like one thing we were talking about is Portishead and our music doesn't sound at all like Portishead, but we love that the way they mastered it um, is just, it's very light handed. So the, for people listening who don't know what mastering is, mastering is basically what happens after you mix music and it's before it's ready to be listened to on any set of speakers and it just sort of levels it out. Um, So uh, mastering these days is often like turning every type of music into like a uniform tube. So it just looks the same uh, when it hits speakers. So it's all loud and that's how it does well on radio and Spotify. Um, but mastering engineers used to let it breathe more. So Portishead's great because you can be listening to a song and it's really quiet. And then suddenly the loud part hits and you're like, Oh fuck, I have to turn my radio down. <laughs> <laughs> And that's like, it feels like rock and roll, you know, it's like, oh, wow, it's surprisingly loud. Yes, I like this. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I I guess it's, it's so important to still be aware of those things and to not be, you know, kind of sucked into the, the the zone of thinking purely about how something's going to come across, you know, as a compressed MP3 or something like that. It's, it's vital to make sure you've still got that, yeah, that, that roominess 
in your yeah. sound. I, I certainly felt like that was something that, that was really, really evident on uh, on the latest record. It, it sounds it's quite an expansive sounding album. Um, I understand you've uh, recently been uh, playing around with some uh, pieces from uh, JBL and AKG. Um, yes. Is that correct? And uh, yeah, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what you've been using uh, those for, how you've been finding those. Yeah, um, there's these monitors. Um, I'm bad at remembering the names of the MK3s, right? Um, and I've really enjoyed them. I feel like the the low end on them is super tight. Um, like listening to drums on those monitors, it feels like I'm right there with the kit. Um, and there's this thing with well-recorded drums where to me, you can really just hear the body of the drum and you can, it feels like you're there, like listening to a drummer at work. And I can really feel that on those monitors. Um, the highs are not overly expressed, which sometimes you'll find, uh, in monitors in that like sub $500 range is there it's just they're trying to make ear candy for people so they'll make every like all the highs overexpressed so i i found the monitors to be really um really accurate um and i think you know for a smaller monitor to have that much low end but not have it out of control is is really a nice thing yeah cool i mean i guess for i mean i, I guess for for most artists these days it's quite it must be quite important quite a key thing, quite a crucial thing to be able to find kit that can, you know, can kind of do the job that you need it to that's in a kind of slightly more affordable price bracket. Because for artists these days, it's like, you know, unless you're, unless you would sign to a major label who are going to throw loads of money at your, your, your sessions. And even that's a bit of a rarity these days. It's, it's kind of quite hard to, uh, to capture the sound that you, you want. So I guess something that's in that, as you, as you said, like a kind of sub $500 range is quite key. Yeah. And I think that there's always like a kind of a golden nugget out there in that range. And there's a lot of stuff that is probably not worth spending time on. So it's good to like, to be able to find those things that are like, okay, yeah, I can, I can use this. And like we do most of our album work in studios, but between records, like we have, we recorded some covers, um, uh, between best wishes and wild for you. And, you know, we just occasionally, we just have like random audio work to do. And so you can't just go into a studio every time. So it's good to have like a small home studio that you can like get things done and know that you're going to be like happy with yeah. what you're putting out there. I mean, cause even like wild for you, we did do some, st- we did stuff at home. Like yeah. every, we did some guitars, some vocals some stuff, you know? Yeah. yeah. Amazing. And so what's next for, for my set? I know that the, the new, the latest record has, has only kind of been out for a, a couple of months, but do you have any plans to kind of take the, take the record on the road? Uh, you know, I know you've been uh, playing across the U S but if you, do you have any plans to go elsewhere in the world and have, have any sessions begun on, on writing for album number three yet? You know, what, what does the future hold for the band at the moment? We, well, we are heading out on the road um, in the U S again, um, in a couple of days, Thursday, uh, um, <laughs> we're going to do a, a two and a half week run with a with a band that I love from the Pacific Northwest called Horse Feathers, and then we have a, a smattering of summer dates coming up, and 
playing some shows with Typhoon. Yeah. It should be really fun. And for the for the next record, you know, I'm always writing and I've been writing this whole time. And it's just a matter of figuring out what is going to crystallize into what I feel like is is the next record, right? And so um I got a lot of of juicy stuff to to share. It's just in the works. So Fantastic. <laughs> still still processing still because you know it was quite a gnarly last two years, right? Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean yeah. how are the what are the practicalities of of arranging a tour at the moment? Because presumably it's hard to book uh, tours too far ahead of time. And it, I imagine it's maybe a little bit more, uh, you know, piece by piece. You book a few dates here, a few days mm-hmm. there, because, uh, you know, as we all know, a, a tour or any kind of run of shows can easily be derailed still, even though it can, can begin to feel a little bit like we've returned to normal. It's still not, for, for touring musicians, it's not quite quite that clear cut, is it? Yeah, I mean, and for that's that's why for this last album release tour, because things were a little bit more uncertain than they are now. And now I feel like things are a little more like if you book a tour, unless somebody gets sick, the tour will happen. Um, it's not going to get canceled by the venues or by ordinances, um, for better or for worse. So the so now we've kind of shifted gears to this point of okay, we are going to book whatever we can and just be optimistic that it will happen and um and be prepared for a scenario that it doesn't you just never know and i think we have to be a little bit more uh prepared for anything that might happen and it is a challenge because financially the margin of of failure is a little bit small much smaller margin here i mean yeah if you get covid on your full band tour then you have to put the whole band up in separate hotel rooms, which you might not be doing normally because you might be getting like two doubles or one double and sharing or staying at a friend's house. Then you lose every single show for like, for like at least a week. And you the whole time you're still paying all the expenses that you would normally pay. And you have and then, to get to wherever that show is after that week. So like... So say, yeah, if you're in New York to Nashville, if I, that's like five days... You sh- and then, then suddenly you have to drive 1,500, 2,000 miles to catch up while you have COVID. Wow. And, and then every band member who was kind enough to like leave their home and their day job to go on the road with you just lost X amount of dollars per day for that whole time. Yeah. So it's really important for people who are coming to shows to wear masks around the artists. Like if you come up to the merch table, just wear a mask. Like most of us aren't really worried about dying of COVID on the road at this point because we're all vaccinated but even getting sick if we test positive we have to cancel the show so if people want bands to tour they need to wear masks around them otherwise this is all going to go away yeah well we you know I wish you all the very best uh with the live shows um and with promoting the record um and thank you so much for joining us it's been really interesting and really uh really great to have you on the show and great chatting to you so so yeah thank you very much Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much. Headliner Radio, supporting the creative community.